John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and no one can do these, thing, these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I've said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we come to this very familiar passage of Scripture, God, would you open our eyes? God, would you work in our hearts? Lord, if there is someone here that has never been born again, would you, through your Spirit, convict them? God, help us to see past our religion, our traditions, to see what an awesome God you are and what an incredible relationship that we can have with you because of the work that you have done in our lives. God, help our study of this passage this morning to draw us to be followers of you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 3 this morning, we are continuing on on our study of the call of Christ. And you may say as we get to John chapter 3, Steve, you should have started the first week with this. Well, there is an intention here. We have studied through the last number of weeks. We looked at a three men in Luke chapter 9, a scribe and two others that were called to have a singular focus, to forsake their family, to forsake uh, their duties, to forsake all and follow Christ. That as a follower of Christ, we must have this singular focus that everything else becomes peripheral to follow Christ. In John chapter 4, we met a Samaritan woman who Jesus called to make her his her, her satisfied longing that she, he would be her everything, the thing, the very thing that satisfies her soul because he is the living water. Mark chapter 10, we saw Jesus call this rich young ruler to make a sacrificial decision to sell all he has, give it to, to the poor, to get rid of the idols in his life and follow Christ. And then we saw Zacchaeus. Jesus called him to have a surrendered relationship We saw how the change in Zacchaeus' life demonstrated his uh, choice to follow Christ. That he was willing to repay four times all that he had stolen and to give his money away. The very thing that had consumed him for a relationship with Christ. We saw a blind man that was called to have a steadfast belief. To believe in Christ and then to go and sin no more. Last week we looked at Peter having this strengthening faith and Jesus revealing to him not only that he was about to be attacked by Satan, 
that he was about to be tried and tested, but then ultimately that he would die for his faith. And you would say, that just doesn't seem to make sense. Why would you be willing, Peter, after all of that, after denying Christ, and you come back to Christ, and Christ says, well, Peter, it's good for you to be back. Now you're going to die for me, for you to go and strengthen your brethren and live in this faith. Why? I believe the answer resides here in John chapter 3 where Jesus is going to call Nicodemus to have a spiritual birth. To have a spiritual birth. Let's back up to the end of chapter 2. Jesus has just cleansed the temple. And as John is writing through the inspiration of the Spirit, it says in verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. This seems like a good thing. Here are these people following Christ. They're seeing the signs. They're seeing the miracles. And they, Hey, there is something about this guy. We need to follow him. And that seems to be a great verse. There are people that are believing. They're following his signs. They want to be a part of this. Verse 24. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew What was in man? As we come to this passage on Nicodemus, I think the first thing we need to look at is what Jesus knows about man's heart. Here, Jesus is doing these signs, he's doing these miracles, and the Bible says these people are believing on him. They're following him. But it is not a true belief. Oh, they want the signs, they want the blessings, they want these miracles to be done, they want to see people healed or maybe even have their own family members healed. They want to be a part of this. But they're not ready to be a follower of Christ. And so here they are, they're following him, and they're wanting these things from Jesus. And listen, there are many people today, there may be some of you sitting here this morning that are quote-unquote, believing in Christ and wanting to be a part of it because you think, and maybe you've heard people preach this, that somehow if you join the church, if you become a part of a church, if you show up every Sunday, God will bless you and everything else will be taken care of. You are following Christ for what you can get out of Christ. And if we would have been there that day and we looked around and we say, man, this is a good thing. Jesus, God, come to this earth in the flesh, and people are following him. This is fantastic. But Jesus very clearly knows these people are not following him for who he is and what they believe about him. They're following him for the signs and the wonders. And Jesus does not reveal himself, does not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knows what is in man. So what is in man? What is the problem with the heart of man? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. This is before their conversion. Paul is writing, you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What Jesus knows about man's heart is that our heart is selfish 
It is wicked. It is deserving the wrath of Almighty God. What Jesus knows is these people are going after this out of their own passions, after their own flesh, and they want what they can get out of Jesus. And we come to chapter 3. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. This seems again. If you read chapter 23, there's these people that are following Jesus, and they seem to believe because of his signs and miracles, and you say, that's a great thing. Now you have this Pharisee, this religious ruler, this leader of Israel, He is a very religious person. But we see here, this man, Nicodemus, is religious, but he has no relationship. Nicodemus comes. Nicodemus, if you would have seen him, his righteousness, his works, much like the rich young ruler, you would have looked at him and said, surely, This one, if anybody would get into heaven, this is a good man. In fact, Jesus even acknowledges their righteousness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is not saying you can work your way into heaven. What he is saying is, as you look around, if you are looking for people that surely this person would get into heaven, they have done their best to keep the law, they've done their best to live right, and if you would look at them, you'd say, surely this is the one that would get into heaven. And Jesus said, that man, the Pharisee, the one that keeps all these laws that you would look at and say, that is the most religious person I've ever met, If anybody was a good person, if anybody were going to get into heaven, that would be him. And Jesus says, your righteousness must exceed his. In other words, you can't work your way into heaven. But listen, Nicodemus is a very good man. For society looking around, this is a good man. And he comes to Jesus and seems to come with a very good attitude. He says, rabbi or teacher... We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He comes and he is, he is beginning to question, hey, who are you? In a roundabout, complimentary way, he's asking Jesus, we, we know that you've come from God. Are you a, are you a prophet? Are you the, the Messiah maybe? I mean, who are you? But obviously what you are doing is different than everybody else. And surely, as he comes and he is coming to him, it says he came to Jesus by night. Now, there's a couple different opinions on why he would come at night. One think that maybe as a rabbi, Jesus was busy teaching during the day, and out of respect, he came at night. Many others believe that he came out of fear. Jesus and the Pharisees did not have the best of relationships. The Pharisees were not big on Jesus. If you read the Gospels, Jesus was not big on the Pharisees, right? And so he comes to Jesus by night out of fear, but also the fact that John brings up, if you turn back to chapter 1, all through his 
his gospel, John demonstrates and shows to us that Jesus in verse 4 in John chapter 1, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And so John, all through his gospel, is using this comparison, darkness, the world, and Jesus being the light. And so even through this, John is showing us Nicodemus as good a person as he was, as religious as he was, and as hard as he tried to keep the law, was still in darkness. And Jesus very quickly is going to jump on this fact. Here's a man that is living the right life, coming to the right man, but he's coming with the wrong question. He's trying to figure out who is this Jesus. He's this messenger from God, a prophet, a Messiah, and Jesus very quickly is going to ask him, it's not about who you find me to be, whether I'm the Messiah or not. The real question is, are you prepared for the Messiah? Are you prepared for the one that will come that is God in the flesh? And so what does he say? Nicodemus, thank you. Thank you for recognizing that there is something different about me. No. Nicodemus, thank you for asking this question and coming to find the source. Thank you for not talking around my behind my... No. What Jesus says is, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see The kingdom of God. Look at Matthew chapter 23, what Jesus says about the Pharisees. These people that find religion more important than a relationship. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he comes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. What is Jesus saying? Nicodemus, listen, you're one of these Pharisees. And what the Pharisees were doing was so ingrained in them about religion and having the right religion and being a part of this religion and keeping the law of religion that they're actually closing the door on people to get into the kingdom of heaven. They're actually making it harder for people to get into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because their whole life, their whole belief system, everything was built around a religion, not a relationship. Folks, you don't have to look far. In our community... And maybe you're sitting here today and your belief system is built on a religion, not a relationship. Man, if I go to church, surely God will let me into heaven. If I was a member of a church, if I was baptized, if I was, if I was, if I was, if I do this, if I help the old lady cross the street, if I give to missions, if I give to the poor, if I do this, surely God will keep me out of heaven. God looked at Nicodemus, and he said, Nicodemus, this one that was the level of religion, this one that your your righteousness would have to exceed. I mean, this guy lived a right life in the eyes of everybody around him. And Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, the issue is you must be born again. 
again. Folks, we live in a society, we live in a day and age when people will look at you and say, hey, who are you to judge? Who are you to tell me that I have to do, that, that you have the answers for salvation, that I have to believe that your way is the only way? Folks, Jesus is very clear. Nicodemus, there is one way. You must be born again. Religion, living rightly, having a good life, will not save you. It will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is one way into heaven. And you must be born again. Turn back to John chapter 1 again. John uh, hits on this even in his first chapter. John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. How do we get into the kingdom of heaven? How do you get saved? It is a work of God in your life. You are not born of your Flesh, it is not something that you can do. It is not something that you can earn. You must be born of God. So Jesus is going to say here in John chapter 3, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is earthly or fleshly. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit or heavenly. You must be born of God. You must be born of the Spirit. God must have birthed you into the kingdom. Now, I just want to hit on this, uh, this verse here where he says, Truly, truly, I say unless, unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, even as Stephen was talking and has these brochures for you, I was just months ago, talking to the Mormon missionaries that are in this area. And they hop on this verse real quick. Okay? Real quick. This, you have to be baptized to be saved. So I just want to touch on it here this morning as we we're talking. What does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? Well, it seems here, there's a couple problems with it being baptism, being born of water, being baptism. I just want to hit on a couple of them. Number one, the rest of the chapter doesn't mention baptism. So drop down to the familiar passage here in John chapter 3. Look at verse 15. But whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And so if this verse is talking about baptism, being born of water is baptism, then why here in verse 15, 16, and 18 does it talk about belief, 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 but never mention baptism? It would seem that in this very same chapter, it would mention baptism again, and it does not. 
Even there, it, it, the idea of Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9 says, I am astonishing you that you are so quickly deserting from him who has called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to him to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you have received, let him be accursed. Paul here is very forcefully in Galatians chapter 1 saying, if an angel from heaven, anybody else, preaches a gospel that is different than my gospel, the gospel that we preach to you, the gospel of Christ, let him be accursed. And you will not find Paul preaching that you must be baptized to be saved. That's number one. The rest of the chapter, it doesn't mention baptism. Number two, look at verse 7. Do not marvel that I say unto you, you, and that you is actually plural, y'all, the Pharisees, people, humans, must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so the analogy here that Jesus is using is that the Spirit moves like the wind, okay, and it goes wherever he wants. He works where he wants. He draws who he wants. Okay, and so the Spirit is free in the salvation process to work where He desires. Well, it seems that if being born of water means baptism, that would severely limit the power of the Spirit here. Right? Because if the Spirit is going around as wind, okay, have you ever tried to control the wind? Our, our, uh, our, our lighter went out on our, our grill, right? So you, you're supposed to be pushing the lighter and... Poof, Okay, that doesn't work. And so the other day when we went out to um, the Vollmer farm, I had taken our little clicky lighter that I usually light our grill with, taking it just in case the church grill didn't light. And I forgot it. My wife gets after me. Everything I bring to the church I seem to forget down here. And so I didn't have my clicky lighter. So the wind was blowing the other day, and I went to grill some burgers on the grill. You ever tried to light a grill with those little tiny matches about that big, right? And it's windy. And so you're... You know, and it's going out, and you smell the gas. You're waiting for this huge explosion, and I'll come preach with no eyebrows, right? And so I'm out there trying to light this thing, and I got this stack of matches. I'm trying to actually build a fire on top of the thing so it would actually light, right? And you're trying to stand and, and trying to control the wind. How, how well does that work for you? It doesn't. The wind moves where it wants to. And so the analogy of the Spirit moving as the wind, if we had to be baptized to be saved, that would severely limit the wind here and the analogy Third, baptism doesn't seem to fit in this passage with Jesus' response to Nicodemus. Look at verse chapter 9, verse 9 in chapter 3. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? If this is biblical baptism, Jesus hasn't died, been buried, or rose again yet. Baptism hasn't been instituted, as we're going to see uh, here in, in about a half an hour. Casey and Hope being baptized, symbolizing Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that they are going to die to their self and be raised to new life. That hasn't even been instituted. Why? Because Jesus hasn't been crucified, he hasn't been buried, he hasn't rose again yet. And so how could Jesus 
look at Nicodemus and say, are you a teacher of Israel? How do you know? I know these things. Obviously, Nicodemus was supposed to know what being born of water and the Spirit is here. Which would mean he would have to know it from where? The Old Testament. And so, let us look to the Old Testament here for the water and the Spirit. And there is a link to this passage. Take your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. If you want me to have some of the Iwana kids come up here and quote the books of the Old Testament, I can do so for you if you need to find it. All right, Ezekiel chapter 36. So where is this reference coming from? Let's start reading in verse 25. Ezekiel 36, 25. Give you a moment to get there. I want you to see this. God says, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. So this idea of water here, this water signifying ritual purification, that God would sprinkle clean water and give them a new heart and remove their idols and their uncleanness. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. He says in that day, you will be my people. I will be your God. You will be people of God when what has happened? He has cleansed them with water, removed their heart of stone and put what in them? His spirit, right? And so in Ezekiel, here God is saying, this is what it will be to be a a people of God. You will have been cleansed from your heart of stone, from your going after idolatry and your uncleanness. And you will be cleansed from that with what? And he will sprinkle you with water and he will put in you his spirit. Back to John chapter 3, what is he saying? He's saying, Nicodemus, unless you are one born of water and spirit, you, to be a person of God, God will have to have birthed you. He will remove that heart of stone and put in you a heart of flesh, and the spirit will be in you. Do not marvel that I say you must, you, plural, must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What happened to you when you got saved? I don't know, but I was changed. That's the exciting thing. And and, and one of those things... That I know I struggled with even as a, a kid growing up in a pastor's home, right? I hear testimonies like Chris Coker's when he shared his testimony. I rejoiced this past Thursday, and I, I want to commend you as a church. We have been praying for a ministry to our community. Had another football player call me on Thursday that said, God, save me this week. But this was his testimony. As I pried, and, and it was... You're talking to a kid that hadn't been in church, and so you're trying to, you know, 
figure out, does he really know what he's talking about? What happened? Did somebody lead him in a prayer? What is he really trusting? And when he said, Steve, I got saved. And when I got saved, I wanted to follow Christ. Tommy, what happened? I don't know, but I know I've got to follow Christ. I wanted to read my Bible. I didn't want to do the things the rest of my gangbanger friends were doing. I didn't want to go after those things. You know what I said? He got it. Well, how did that all work? I don't know, but he got it. It's like trying to explain to your kids how wind works, right? Take our kids out, try to fly the kites. We always pick the days when there's no wind, right? Well, can we get some wind here? Dude. I can't drum it up. Well, why does the wind come and it goes? I, I don't know. Well, can't we get a little? No, it's wind, right? When it goes, when it stops, how it works. It just, but you know when it comes, don't you? Let a good 60 mile an hour wind come. You know it's there. So it is the spirit working in our life. How did it all happen? I don't know, but I know I've been changed. So the question here, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus says, are you a teacher from Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so much the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him and is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the question that we have to come through through this passage, folks, we are all dead in our sins. We are like those people in Ezekiel going after Idols going after uncleanness. Our hearts are stone. We are children of wrath. The wrath of God resides on us unless we are born of God. So the true question is, are you born of God? Is there a belief in your heart you have believed in him And believed in who Christ is. Not in what you can get out of him. Not in his signs. Not in his miracles. But in what he did. He would be lifted up. That he would die on a cross. Be buried. And raised again the third day. Taking on the wrath of God. That we deserved in Ephesians 2. On himself. So that we might have his righteousness put on him. You know the interesting thing about this story? Is that in the midst of this story. Unlike... The Samaritan woman in chapter 4, unlike the rich young ruler, it doesn't finish, does it? I mean, he's in this conversation, then he goes into this passage about, for God's will of the world, what happened to Nicodemus? John doesn't finish the story. 
Do we know what happened to Nicodemus? Do we know if he, he ever believed or not? Do we know if he chose religion or a relationship? Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, Jesus is crucified. Look at verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he may take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Verse 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom. Why? Oh, Nicodemus. John even says, the one who came to Jesus by night, the one that was in darkness, the one that was in fear, came and had this discussion with Jesus, and Jesus told him, you must be born again. You have to trade in your religion for a relationship. How do we know Nicodemus was born again? Because the one who came at night out of fear and living in darkness comes at this time. And listen, why why is this important? Why would you stick your neck out now? Jesus is dead. Right? I mean, why are you going to make your move now? Why are you going to step out? I mean, the, the Pharisees, they've just, they've, they've, they've gone to Pilate and these religious rulers, they were all involved in this crucifixion. Why, Nicodemus? Why would you come out now and spend this money on a dead man? Unless you believed he would rise again. There's no, there's no reason. There's no reason to stick your head out here. There's no reason to pour your money into him. Here, unless you believe that he was who he said he was. Nicodemus was no longer going after signs and miracles. The time for signs and miracles had passed. Jesus' coolness factor was passed. Right? His YouTube views were passed. He is dead And yet Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea come and they ask for the body and and, and Nicodemus takes of his own money to bring these myrrh and aloe to pack around the body of Jesus. Why? Because he had gone from a religion to a relationship. And so I ask you this morning, all the things that we have talked about in being a follower of Christ and what it is to be a follower of Christ, why would I live my life with a singular focus to say, you know what? I've got to go bury my dead. Let the dead bury their dead. You come follow me. Yeah, but I have a responsibility. What is more important? Well, I I need to go. No, no, no. Am I your singular focus or am I not? Whoa, whoa, whoa. But you're telling me to get rid of all my stuff, give it to the poor to follow you. Yes, I am. Why would I do that? Why would I do that unless, like Nicodemus, I realize where I was. Heart of stone, children of wrath, God's wrath going to be poured out on me. That I could do nothing on my own. 
But God, in His love and in His grace and by His mercy, saved me. So that I could enter the kingdom of heaven. And when I get to that point, to realize that I have been born of God, nothing that I've done, it's not my religion, it's not the works that I've done, it's not being a good person, it's not what I've thrown in the offering plate, it's not what I did this week, whether it's good or bad, and we put it on the scale. No, I am bad, except for Jesus Christ. And when I am born again, guess what, folks? Money doesn't matter. My friends, what they think of me doesn't matter. None of that matters. Why would I follow Christ? Because he saved me. And how dare we walk around and say, well, you know what? It really doesn't say I have to be at church every Sunday. Why wouldn't we want to be at church every Sunday? Well, I don't have to. I I mean, I don't see where it says I have to tithe or I have to give money in the plate. It doesn't. Why wouldn't I want to give money in the plate? Why wouldn't that be an act of worship? Well, it doesn't say I have to. Man, I don't don't know. I'm I'm not really one to speak out and share the gospel. Why wouldn't I want to share the gospel? Knowing that my friends and my co-workers and my neighbors are going to die and go to hell. I don't want to offend them. I'm sure John chapter 19, Nicodemus was not sad that Jesus offended him. Oh, I'm a religious leader. I know the Old Testament. Obviously you don't. Because there's only one way. Enter the kingdom of heaven. John chapter 14. Jesus said, I am the way. One and only. So my question is, are you sitting here today living with this hope of heaven because of your religion? Or have you been changed by the Holy Spirit of God because you have been born again? It changes Everything. In John chapter 19, Nicodemus no longer cared what the Pharisees thought. He didn't care if it cost him his life. He didn't care how much money it was going. He was going to bury Jesus. He'd been changed. Has God changed your heart and your life? What are you relying on to get you in to the kingdom of heaven?